listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So the, the question I want us to come back to at the beginning of this narrative is why is this happening in the first place? So remember back to the first couple sermons that we've done, um, the people of God called Israel have been enslaved by Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians. And more than enslaved, they've been killed, right? There's this attempted genocide against the firstborn sons of Israel, of God's people in Egypt. But many sons are spared, and Moses is one of those sons that is spared by the women of Israel, by the, by the Hebrew women. And Moses is spared from the genocide, and he's raised by an Egyptian in Pharaoh's house, house in fact. But then Moses leaves Egypt, and God visits him in this amazing scene that we saw last week, right? This, this burning bush where God speaks to Moses and gives him a mission, a task. And so this is why in verse 22, where this morning's passage kind of begins, it says this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God talking to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And so here God identifies himself as the father of of Israel, he calls them my son. And more than identifying himself, himself as a father, he proclaims their freedom. They will be free to do what? To serve me. And that's better translated as worship, I think. Let my people be free to worship me. And so this is what Moses is being sent back to Israel to do, to be part of the freedom of the people of God. And God makes Moses a promise here that if Pharaoh refuses to let my people go, I will take his firstborn son. I will kill him. So the tension that we're about to see unfold over the next few weeks in Exodus is building. So God sends Moses to do this task, but he doesn't send Moses alone or without a plan. And so there's three, three things we're going to talk about this morning, three kind of sections. If you're a note taker, these are the three sections um, of what God is doing to help Moses in God's mission. First, God has empowered Moses for the mission. God gives him power. He equips Moses. And two, God reminds Moses that he, God, is in control over the mission to free his people. He is sovereign over the mission. So two, God is sovereign over the mission. And three, in what is most, uh, most likely the most confusing and difficult passage of this text this morning, God is going to purify Moses for the mission. He's going to purify him for the mission. So let's explore the three points. First, God empowers Moses for the mission. So how does God do this? Verse 21 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. So in chapters 3 and 4, when God speaks to Moses and God gives Moses what? He gives him power, the ability to perform miracles. 
Like Moses' staff becomes a serpent and then changes back. And Moses puts his hand in his jacket and it comes out leprous and then he puts it back and it's cleaned. And more than that, God says, also I will turn the Nile River, this large river running through Egypt, I will turn it into blood and turn it back through you. And so Moses is being told that God's power will flow through him as part of the mission to free God's people. And Moses hears all this and he even sees the miracles happen and Moses' response is doubt. Moses says to God, but I'm not, I'm not eloquent enough. My words aren't good enough to change the mind of Pharaoh. And God says to Moses, I will be your mouth. I will give you words. And more than that, I will send you Aaron, who is gifted by me as an eloquent speaker, as a good speaker, and he will help you with the task. So when God, so what, what is this? What is happening? I think we should see that when God gives Moses the mission to free his people, he doesn't send Moses without power, and he doesn't send Moses without community, without friendship. God says you'll have the power to perform my miracles. He says you'll have the words of my spirit. You'll have the voice of me, of God, and you will have Aaron who will go with you. So just like Aaron and Moses are differently equipped with gifts for this mission, so is Southern Galleria. And we need each other like they need each other. We need the words of God, and we need the voice of God, and we need the community that God gives us. And so we, we, like Moses and Aaron, we've been given a huge mission to accomplish. We're going to talk about it a, a lot more in the, in the application section, but our mission is to make disciples, and we've been given the power to do so, just like Moses and Aaron. So God says this, this is the mission, free my people. And then he says this, this is how the mission will be accomplished. I will give you power and words and friendship. Do the miracles I've put in your power. And then the second thing God tells Moses, he says, I am in control. And he says it here in verse 21, uh, as it continues, God says, talking about Pharaoh, but I will harden his heart. He's talking about Pharaoh's disposition to all the miracles that Moses is about to do in front of Pharaoh, that God will harden his heart. What does this mean? And throughout Exodus, we're going to see that God will continue to do more and more miraculous wonders through Moses, but continually, Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. Is God being cruel to Moses? Or is he being unjust towards Pharaoh? Is God thwarting his own mission? Is he sabotaging Moses' plan that he's given Moses? Well, graciously, this is one of the sections in Exodus that we're not left alone to figure out on our own. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, in, in, in the New Testament, which is the inspired word of God, thousands of years after the events of the Exodus, uh, unpacks this verse specifically. So we're just going to read that. Uh, it's in verse 14 of Romans chapter 9. It starts 
here. It says this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So this is what God is doing when he hardens Pharaoh's heart. He is making his name great. He's making it so his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. So practically, if Moses went to Pharaoh and just said, hey, will you let, will you let Israel go? Will you let my people go? And Pharaoh said, okay. Then we certainly wouldn't be talking about this this morning. We might be talking about how gracious Pharaoh was 3,000 years ago. Or we might not be talking about anything at all, but instead, thousands of years ago after a historical event, we are here in Houston talking about the story of God's power and how his name was made great. And so because of the events that are going to unfold and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, God is going to prove himself to be miraculous and powerful, and his name will be proclaimed in all the corners of the earth. And we have seen that coming to fruition. We are part of the most diverse global movement of all time. The most all-encompassing global movement of all time. So God's name is being made great. But even in this narrative, why does God tell Moses that this is what he's going to do? Well, I think God is telling Moses that he is sovereign over the mission, that this is the story he is writing, and he's saying to Moses, do not be discouraged. You're going to be told no over and over and over and over again. And God is saying, I'm not making Pharaoh's name great, and I'm not making your name great. I'm making my name great. We learned last week, um, I believe, when we talked about when God gives Moses his name, we learned that his name is Yahweh, which means I am, which means that very simply, our God is. He is. He has always been. He will always be. And all other gods are not. Our God is. And so, this is the comfort. That the God who is, is in control. That I am is in control. He is sovereign over the mission. So Yahweh gives Moses the mission, free my people. He empowers him for the mission, do the, power that, do the powerful works that I've given you. And he reminds Moses that he is in control. And he will get the glory. And finally, in that difficult passage, we're going to see that God is going to purify Moses through his family for the mission. This is what verse 24 to 26 says. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to this section because we're going to play around with it a little bit. Um, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him 
and sought to put him to death. Then Zephorah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. He being God, let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What? <laughs> that's what I, when I was assigned this text, that's what, that was my first word when I read that. What? So first, we should know that there are a lot of biblical scholars that are smarter than any of us in the Sojourn Collective that have studied this a lot. So I'm going to draw from their wisdom. This is not my revelation from this past two weeks. Um, but first, we should know that there are translation difficulties in this passage. Mainly, that the word him is used twice, and we don't know who the him is. The Lord sought to kill him. And then, where it says, she touched Moses' feet with it, that's actually the word him, again. She, she sought to, to touch him, his feet with it. And so, biblical scholars just aren't sure who the him is, but we know by the context that it's one of two people. It's Moses or his son Gershom. We know that Gershom the son is the one who is circumcised. And we know that immediately preceding this passage that Moses is being talked about. So when there's him used twice, we're kind of like, is it Moses? Is it Gershom? And we know with, with a large degree of certainty it's one of the two. And here's what's happening in this scenario, and here's why it doesn't matter who it is. It really doesn't. Moses, his son, Gershom, is not circumcised. And circumcision is given to the people of Israel when the father of all of Israel, Abraham, is given a covenant with God. So God says to Abraham in Genesis 17 that God will establish with Abraham an everlasting covenant, and that Abraham and his descendants will be a fruitful and multiplying nation, a great nation of great people. And as a sign of that covenant, Abraham and all the people in his family are to circumcise their, their sons. The cutting of the foreskin represented the covenant that God made between Abraham, and because it was a surgery, there was blood involved, so it's a blood covenant. So with that in mind, God is here in this section giving Moses the mission to free his people, and yet, his covenant people, and yet Moses is in disobedience in the covenant. He's broken the covenant by not circumcising his firstborn son. And moreover, Gershom is in breaking of the covenant because he is not circumcised himself. So Moses has broken the covenant, and Gershom has broken the covenant. And God will not use impure covenant breakers for his mission. So when it says God met him to seek to put him to death, if Gershom is the one he sought to put to death, then God is just because Gershom has broken the covenant. Likewise, if God would meet Moses to seek to put him to death, then it would be just because Moses has broken the covenant in his family by not circumcising his son. You see, that's what, that's what I'm saying when I say it doesn't matter because it would be 
correct in this reading for either Moses or Gershom to receive punishment. But the what of what's going on is so much more important than the who. They are impure for the mission. We have impurity in the family of Moses. But there is a way to be pure and obedient. And so Zipporah, Gershom's mother, conducts a circumcision. Blood is shed, and in doing so, the covenant is accepted. The sign is accepted. So once again, in Exodus, a Hebrew woman plays a part in saving the men of Israel. And we know, and we're going to find out as we, if you kind of look forward to Leviticus, that in the law of God, blood must always be shed to make people pure. Right? In Levitical law, that looks like animal sacrifice, that animals are sacrificed, their blood is shed to make people pure. But here, it's the blood of Moses' firstborn, of Gershom. And so either the blood of the firstborn must be offered freely, or God will take it. But instead of death meeting Gershom or Moses, blood is offered from the circumcision. It's wiped on feet, and death passes over the family. So this is a foreshadowing event of what is about to unfold in all of Egypt. We're going to find out as we continue reading that soon, because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart, death, the spirit of death will enter into Egypt seeking to kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt. But unless, and he will come unless blood is smeared on a doorpost. So the people of Israel sacrifice a lamb and smear blood on a doorpost. So here, blood covers the family of Moses and purifies them for the mission about to take place. And they are passed over by death because blood was smeared. And soon, blood will cover the doors of the people of God in Egypt, and they will be passed over by death because blood is smeared. And we know as Christians that blood covers us too. But this time... It's, it's the blood of the firstborn, not of man, but of God. God's own firstborn, Jesus of Nazareth, his red blood will flow and it will cover us. And death will pass over us again too. The sacrificial blood of the Exodus is simply a placeholder until the blood of God finally pays the price. And death will finally pass over those who seek refuge. God sends his firstborn to earth as a man to die. And so Jesus will come and he will work powerful signs and miracles during his time on earth, but no miracle more ultimate than the one done on the cross. The final blood is shed and the true firstborn of God and man is sacrificed. So for those who follow him, blood is smeared over us and death will pass over us. So God gives Moses a mission, free my people. God gives Moses the power to conduct my mission, do the works, use my voice. God reminds Moses that he is in control of the mission. I am sovereign. And then God purifies Moses and his family for the mission by the blood of a sacrifice. 
And so what do we do with this narrative this week? What does this mean for us as a church being shaped and molded by the story of Exodus here in Houston? Well, first, let's remember that we have a mission. We who follow Jesus were given a mission. Jesus says, as he ascends to heaven, ascends on the throne, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God and teaching them all that I have commanded. So we are to go and free the enslaved to sin with the message of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we're to teach each other what he commanded to love one another and love our neighbors. This is why at Sojourn, the beginning of our vision statement is to make disciples. We make disciples of Jesus by sharing the good news of what he's done. And second, our mission, or second, we should remember that it's God that purifies us. Right, let's remember that God sent his firstborn son to bleed and die so that we would be purified. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us and call us to live in righteous obedience. But it does mean that God sees us as holy, blameless, and pure. Jesus is the firstborn of man and the firstborn of God, and he is the firstborn of the dead. And so there is a time coming when we will rise renewed and our flesh will match the decree of righteousness that God has spoken over us. So if you follow Jesus, you have been bought with a price. We owed a debt we could not pay. Because of our sin, there was a debt we could not pay, but... But Jesus' blood was shed and smeared over us. Death was coming for you and me, and it will pass over us. This is the beauty of baptism, right? Just like circumcision was assigned to Abraham and Moses of belonging to the covenant people of God and an act of obedience, for Christians... Baptism is a sacrament for those who have been grafted into the kingdom of God, the people of God. And it's a step in obedience. It signifies purification. So God purifies us for the mission. And third, let's remember that God empowers us for his mission. We have been purified for the mission to make disciples. And we should also know that we have been empowered for the mission to make disciples. God has given us his Holy Spirit. Just like Moses and Aaron are given the words and the mouth of God, the Spirit in us will give us the words and the mouth of God. We are empowered to love our neighbor, to be kind, patient, faithful, joyful, peaceful, gentle, good to one another, and self-controlled. And we are empowered to speak the things of God to those who don't know it. We are empowered for the mission of God by the Spirit of God. And fourth, as we partake in this mission together, we should remember that God is sovereign over the mission. 
God is in control of the mission. Yahweh is making his name great. Don't be discouraged. There are people in your life that you might desperately want to know Jesus. People you hope would find the peace that you have found, the joy that you have found, the truth that has been revealed to you by God. And I know for me, I do know people like that. And if I'm honest, I pray to God and ask that they would be saved. And simultaneously, I don't see any real way that they could be saved. But they seem so hostile and so far from, from God. And God says here, I am making my name great, not your name, Reed. Don't get discouraged. We aren't in control. I can't save anyone. God will save people and his name will be made great. This is comforting to me because I know that I can simply be faithful and obedient to the mission that God has, has called me to. And I can leave the rest to him. Yahweh is in control. So I can change my posture and pray expectantly. He will move and work in hearts that are hard. And trust that his timing and control are better than my own. So those are the four things I think we should know. And finally, I want us to look at how the narrative concludes so it can inform our own posture. At the end, Aaron and Moses go to the elders and they speak the words God gave them and they show the signs and power that God has given them. And in response, the elders worship. They bow their heads and worship. So would we hear what God has done in the ancient times of Exodus and would we hear what God has done through his son Jesus and would we hear what God has done in the lives of many of the members of Sojourn Galleria and would we worship? Will we remember it? Will we tell it? And when we celebrate the meal in a few moments, would we do so worshiping a God who is making his name great? A God who is, who is doing, who is active, who is empowering, who gives us a mission, who is sovereign over it, who has purified us. We remember the blood that was shed, the body that was broken, the blood that smeared over us that allows us to walk in new life. We celebrate that together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, we invite you to make your name great in our lives. Lord, I confess that I confess that I have tried to make my name great. I confess that in so many actions daily, I am concerned with my name, with my reputation, with my glory, with my power. Lord, would you reveal to me through your word and through your spirit that, that your strength is made power in weakness. Lord, would you, right now, I repent, we repent, Lord, and would you make your name great in our lives? Would you make your name great in our churches? Would you make your name great on our streets, in our homes, in our families? 
in our workplace, would you use us to do it for your glory? Lord, we, we trust you. We praise you. We thank you for the mission that you've invited us to be a part of. Like, like kids going to dad with dad to work. We can funnel our way through, through making some copies or bad coffee, but ultimately you are doing it. And so would we join your mission, rest on the power of your spirit to work and change people, invite your spirit to do the work that he has always done, Free your people in Houston. We invite you to do that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We trust you. We pray on your name.